0: This is an RNZ podcast.
2: Chiara et Stefano, welcome to Country Life. I'm Duncan Smith.
0: It's great to have your company. Call Sally Round, their Today we meet some of New Zealand's rarest horses at the Canterbury a and show. Later, a hard-working couple are giving farming a go and they're loving it.
2: And in our feature story, we head to an asparagus farm in Rangatikei. The owners of Mangaweka Asparagus say their community helped them when tragedy struck and now they're giving back and spreading their passion for asparagus. That's later in the show.
0: But first, to a roundup of the week's rural news with Sally Murphy. And falling red meat prices have hit the Alliance Group.
3: They have. The farmer owned co op's books are in the red. It's just reported a loss after tax of $70 million for the year ended September. That's a big flip from last year's $73.6 million profit. Alliance chief executive, Willy Visa, told us falling prices are to blame and there were already high volumes of products in markets that had to be sold, which didn't help.
4: Uh, what then happened with those prices coming down, you revalue your, your inventory because we use a net realisable value calculation to do that. So we, we lost $60 million within the first three weeks of November.
3: Philly Visa says the company has carried out a full review of the business to find efficiencies and more than 10% of salaried positions have been cut, mostly in the office.
0: Now green kiwi fruit growers have aired their grievances about
3: lower returns. That's right, New Zealand kiwi fruit growers held two meetings in Katikati Kati and Te Puki last week to gauge the feeling of growers who have had a couple of tough years with falling returns and fruit quality issues. Chief Executive Colin Bond says about 300 growers turned out.
2: Definitely the question was, am I, gonna, am I still going to have a viable business in the future? And the answer to that depends a lot on productivity so how, what sort of yields can growers achieve on orchards? For post-harvest, it's about managing that conflict of packing multiple varieties. So making sure that they can pack and pack green at the optimal time. And of course, Zespri have a job to do to try and optimise the, the sale price of our fruit in market.
3: Colin Bond says growers say they're doing it tough but are feeling okay about the upcoming season with good weather forecast for pollination of the green vines, which gets underway soon. He says NZKGI, the growers' group, has also commissioned a report to see if marketing the bulk of kiwifruit through Zespri is working. He says the results will be shared with growers this month and published early next month.
0: And Waikato has seen the opening of a new milk processing plant.
3: That's right, Singapore-based agribusiness giant Olam Food Ingredients opened its Tokaroa plant this week. The company set its forecast payout for the season of $7.25 a kilogram of milk solids earlier this year, matching Fonterra's current forecast midpoint. New Zealand General Manager of Milk Supply, Paul Johnson, says strong farmer support is giving the company confidence in the future.
5: Uh, We're really comfortable
6: with the... A number of farmers that have partnered with us for this first stage, and it's given us confidence to start investing for the next stage. To enhance our plant capabilities, this includes production of high-value protein concentrates. It goes into beverages
7: and uh, functional ingredient solutions for customers around the world.
3: And what has Federated Farmers had to say about it, Sally? Waikato's Federated Farmers Dairy Spokesperson, Matthew Zonderop, says the new company gives farmers in the region options for their milk supply, but he says those considering changing companies shouldn't take it lightly.
5: You know, no one can deny really competition is is good for the market, but I I would say uh, the profits are going offshore. Generally, personally, I don't agree with the profits going offshore. New Zealand uh, milk, New Zealand dairy farms, they should be staying within New Zealand.
3: Now the onion industry is celebrating a win in the China market. Yes, a New Zealand delegation has just returned from another trip to Shanghai, this time with a freshly signed memorandum of understanding with local businesses to help enable freer two-way trade of onions between the two countries. Here's Onions New Zealand Chief Executive James Cooperus.
5: We came away very optimistic about the market. Uh, We estimate within five to ten years we'll be exporting 50 to 60 million dollars worth of onions once we gain market access so uh yeah we're, we're quite buoyant i guess about the prospects right now but a little bit of work to get there still
0: and sally are logging companies urging motorists to be more patient
3: well, Stuart Drummond Transport has posted some pretty shocking footage of a close call. One of their drivers was heading towards a logging operation near Picton when two motorbikes overtook it. Another of the company's logging trucks with a full load was coming the other way and there was nearly a head-on collision. Company spokesperson Brody Drummond says most of the company's trucks have a dash cam which capture an incident almost every week.
8: Various
4: degree of severity. It, um... Yeah, we, like we're very lucky with the the CVST here that they do follow up with us and with the vehicle owner and um, and discuss, you know, why and and how it happened. Um, and we've yeah we have had a couple recently where where the, they have been taken to court and, and charged.
3: Brody says going into summer when more people are out on the roads, it's a timely reminder for people to slow down and think twice before overtaking.
0: And just finally, you got out to the New Zealand agricultural
3: show in Otatahi Christchurch this week. How was it? Well, Christchurch put on some stunning weather, as always, so thousands flocked to the show – Wood chopping, dog trials, rare breeds and prize cattle were all on display. Sixteen-year-old Shay Roskin bought her Belgian blue called Axel Rose all the way from Te Aroha in Waikato. So he's two years old and I breed them so his, I brought his grandma and his dad from Sir Lockwood Smith and then she's just kind of produced me all my animals. So, and why are you interested in that breed? I feel like their nature's quite good, like they're a real calm breed and yeah. And so what kind of effort went into bringing him to the Canterbury A&P show today? Um, Well, there was a lot of preparing him with the show stick because I've always shown him as a yearling but he never was really interested in it and then so that I put a lot of time in like teaching him the show stick and then I guess yeah just clipping him and that. That's Shay Roskin with her Belgian blue.
0: Well, thanks for that rap, Sally. Cosmo was also at the show. Let's join him at the Rare Breeds display area to find out about some special horses on display. He's with volunteer organiser and self-confessed hippophile Lizelle Silver.
9: So I'm a member of the Rare Breeds Conservation Society of New Zealand and also I'm a founding member of a new society called the Rare Horse Society of New Zealand. And so last year we had 14 equine breeds, including a donkey.
5: And this This, year you've got? This
9: year we've got, uh, we'll have 11, because tomorrow we've got the Tennessee walking horses coming. And they're going to do a roping display, so hopefully keep your eyes peeled for that one.
5: Mm -hmm. Yeah. How rare are some of these horses?
9: Um, This is one of 31 Pasifinos in New Zealand.
5: Only 31? Only
9: 31 in New Zealand. So they're called what we know as a gated horse, which means that instead of trotting, they have got an alternative way of going as well as the trot, which is smooth. Your bum doesn't leave the saddle, there's no posting required, and it's comfortable, so you can ride one of these all day and get off feeling actually fresher than when you got on, probably.
5: And where does this horse here come from?
9: They were um, developed in South America from stock that the Conquistadors brought over and Christopher Columbus and so three breeds were all pulled over and they kind of intermingled and became a criollo type horse and then certain areas so Puerto Rico, Colombia and Peru developed their own type just by their requirements and desires so there are now three types, Um, this is the Colombian Pasifino
5: How would you describe her?
9: Her main feature is she's got very fine legs and very small hooves for her size, they're, they're never really over 15 hands so they're a smaller type but they are quite well sprung ribs, they really round out your legs as a rider so as soon as you ride on them it, you just feel like you're flying or riding on a cloud or something.
5: She's right up yeah. beside us now having a wee munch.
9: She is very people orientated. She's just a very loving horse, really. Like, I don't have to catch her, she catches me.
5: Show me some of the other horses you've got.
9: Yeah, so this next one is a Pergeron. This a Pergeron. is the only black Pergeron in the country. And Perche is a French region, so they're a French horse.
5: A French working horse, I guess.
9: Yep, yep, they were um, yeah, developed to be working the fields over there.
5: She yeah. is huge.
9: She's in a foal at the moment, so she's going to have a baby soon. And oh, she's she's really cool. Like, Pergerons, while being a draft horse, are actually a lot more agile than you think they would be. Mm. They can really get moving. So they'd be a good option for people that like the idea of a Clydesdale, but want a little bit more pep in the step out of them.
5: Yeah, something a bit yeah. more refined. Yeah. And here's the classic Shire horse. Shire. NZ population, 100.
9: Under 100. Under yeah. 100. Yeah, and his owner is over here, so we will just get Sarah over. Hi, Sarah. Sarah, would you like to talk about the Shire horses?
5: Tell me about your beautiful horse.
8: This is Lexi. Yeah, she's um, three. Yeah, first time off the property actually, so she's um, taken it well. Yeah.
5: What's it like being here with her at, uh, oh, at the it's show? it's awesome.
8: That's, that's the best thing I've ever done <laughs> this year. Fantastic, yeah. It's been fabulous, seeing heaps of the kids coming in and having a pet, the older people. Yeah, just wonderful, all the old farmers and didn't really realise how much uh, people would enjoy the, the breed.
5: And is Lexi the only uh, rare breed that you've no, got? we've
8: got three at home, yeah. We've got a grey colt, a shire colt, and another uh, black mare that's gone to um, be put in foal. fold to another shire in Invercargill.
5: Yes. And Lacelle, how many rare breed horses have you got?
9: I've just got the one, yeah.
5: Next to Lexi is a much smaller, slightly more delicate horse. What kind of breed is she? This is a
9: Kyger Mustang and they are critically endangered worldwide. If any of you have ever seen the Disney movie Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron, this is the horse they were modelled off. They are all this beautiful... Color which is called dun, so they're kind of a dusty color all the way through to like a golden color. They've also got stripes on the legs, like tiger stripes on the legs, so they are special. Don't do
5: that, darling. There are a few camper vans and tents uh, just behind the horses. Do people stay here with their animals?
9: Yeah, we're mostly camping here. Yeah, so there's a few floats tucked in the back of our riding area and and tents and that. Some are sleeping out in the car park and their float so it's really fun yeah we just have a great time no one I don't think anyone who was here last year had a bad time. How did yeah.
5: you get into horses because it sounds like you're passionate.
9: Oh yeah I started riding when I was seven in a riding school and about four years in I, I stopped just life got in the way and I didn't get back to it till I was about 25 and this Spanish Pasifino popped up I looked into it and It seemed to be the perfect match of everything I wanted. And I just thought, oh my gosh, God's made me a horse. (laughs) I didn't realise this was something we could even have. And it just seemed like the universe gave me this horse. And so that's how I got into it. Um, The lady who sold me the horse was a member of the Rare Breeds Conservation Society and she was arranging the horse section of this display when I met her.
5: So that's how you got into uh, organising the horse section here. Yep. Now you've also got a Timor pony here. Tell me about them.
9: So um, the Timor pony is actually critically endangered worldwide now. No one really knew this until I started trying to do a head count of what we had in the country and sort of realised actually we don't have as many as people might think. So um, there are about 1500 worldwide. Obviously they are in Timor, which is a little tiny country just a little bit north of Australia. So they were exported from there to Australia in the early 1800s and then over to New Zealand as well. They were used as pit ponies in the mines here for a long time and um, but we think the original lines have probably died out since then. We believe that some have been imported back in the 50s and since then we've only got about a hundred now. Um, they're awesome breed, they're really unflappable type but they're also really energetic and willing to get going. So. their pure form a really competitive pony for show jumping, endurance, um, scurry they pull carts really well and even though they only get up to about 11.3 12 hands they're actually extremely strong and they are really in need of help if anyone's interested to get involved do reach out to us via our rear horse society of new zealand page we need people interested to breed them they can only be found in Timor, Australia and New Zealand.
0: Liesel Silver there at the New Zealand Agricultural Show in Canterbury.
1: You're listening to Country Life on RNZ National, 101FM.
2: We're heading to a busy 15 hectare property on Banks Peninsula now. Cosmo is with first-time farmers Stacey and Odie Geelan, who are living the rural dream.
6: We are in our little farm, Gillen Family Farm in Michikarara. Um, It's a little block that we've uh, moved just uh, Christmas 2018, so about five years ago. And uh, we've been sort of trying to figure out what we like to do, how to do it, and just sort of go with the flow.
5: What made you want to move to the country?
6: For For us, it always started with the bees. We feel really passionate about the bees and honey, and we actually did a beekeeping course Back when we lived in town, because we're both city kids, And um, it just sort of started from there. We started having conversations about what it would be like to have a bit of a piece of land, uh, what it might look like, can we grow enough food, What sort of food, um, you know, keeping up the bees, and then it sort of all from there. And um, as we sort of started looking around, we both living in Christchurch at the time, and we were just always drawn to particular Banks Peninsula and Salmon area, and it was just by... Sheer luck and persistence and hard work we found this little jam and um, just called it home.
5: So when you saw this place did you know straight away that it was it was right for you?
6: Ish. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was the journey. We looked at a couple of places in the neighborhood as well and really because we're both migrants, we don't know the area all that well, like history and trying to learn about the health soil and the natives and all mm. those little bits and pieces. So it was a huge journey of discovery. And when we found this place, it just seemed to be ticking most of the boxes and we saw a lot of potential. And as we you were know, walking around the property, it was like, OK, we can do this with this paddock. We can put an orchard over there. Or, you you know,
5: started dreaming.
6: It started dreaming and it really <laughs> took off. From then on, it was really, really fast. It happened really fast. Yes. So. Where are you from originally? Uh, so I'm originally from Russia, uh, deep south that is, and uh, Otis from Belgium.
1: Od, how did you end up here? Um, working. Came over for working holiday, stayed, met Stacy, got married, bought a place, got kids. <laughs> Never looked back. <laughs> Never looked back. <laughs> You'd just finished work when I got here. What do you do? I work in civil construction a few days a week. So we mainly do subdivisions, all sorts of stuff from drainage to road maintenance to everything.
5: And those skills, I guess, would come in very handy here. Yeah, yeah especially the digger skills. Yes. Always handy to have a little digger on site. And Stacey, how did you end up in New Zealand? When did you come here
6: from, from Russia? Oh, that was a long time ago, about 14, 15 years. I came to Auckland, had an invitation from um, AUT University to study. Uh, And I did that and then I was lucky enough to find a job after graduation and I only had a bag to my name, that was it. (laughs) (laughs) And what did you study? Uh, A business, a business degree. Are you working? Yes, I have a full-time job. I work for a place called Pure Oil in Ralston, that's an oilseed processing plant. So we make cooking oil and we also make animal feed, which is quite handy when you're a farmer.
5: (laughs) Mm. Now you mentioned honey before. Mm. You both did a beekeeping course
6: yes it was a beekeeping course in New High so we did it after work it was a like an introductory course they teach you the basics about the beekeeping what is a bee what is a quen how to you know life cycles how to build the hive Um, just giving you really the basics to figure out is it something that you want to do and like most people after finishing the course we ended up buying a hive
5: (laughs) (laughs) and now we are standing beside a mobile Extraction unit, I guess. What would you call this trailer?
6: That is correct. That is a mobile honey extraction trailer slash commercial kitchen unit. It's a nine meter long, self-contained unit, um, and that's where we extract our honey. We mostly work with small beekeepers and hobbyists, so people that have only like one or two hives would really love to have a taste of their own honey, gift a jar to a friend of, you know, family member, and they do not have the skills or equipment to do it ourselves or um, just never been around that sort of thing really
5: so you turned what was a hobby into a business Yep, yeah, pretty
1: much how did that come about uh, we had the opportunity to buy this and yeah we jumped on it learned it along the way and so yeah we do everything from one box to 30 40 boxes from honeydew manuka normal clover Wildflower mix, everything.
5: So you can go to someone's property and process the honey
1: there. Yep, we can do that, or we can pick it up, drop it off. We can put it in jars, put it in pails, everything. Did you spot a gap in the market?
6: Uh, yes, it said so. This, this was an existing business. Um, it was just—it's re- a really niche market. Uh, wasn't really well marketed, so it's pretty much word of mouth. Uh, we always wanted to sort of carry on. Up With our passion for the bees and what else can we do and we sort of was thinking about having a commercial kitchen sort of later in our farming journey maybe a few years you know down the line but when opportunity came around it was really silly not to take onto it on it and um, it's been a busy season last year and we're coming into honey flow in the next month or so so I'm hoping for another productive season as well.
5: Who goes out and does this work? Yeah I do the extraction most of the times.
1: Stacey is more from the marketing and accounting. So, is it hard to manage with your other job? No, we do it mostly in the weekends. So or, yes. yeah.
5: <laughs> weekends and evenings. Can we have a look inside oh, this, yeah. uh, this mobile facility?
1: Sure. So, the boxes come in, the full honey boxes come in at the end of the trailer. Mm. The back will open, stack the boxes in there, then they will be uncapped. And then they go in the extractor and then from the extractor it's getting filtered putting in jars or pails whatever mm. the client wants
5: and you've got quite a big extractor yeah we've got
1: an eight frame extractor
5: stainless steel stainless steel nice and shiny how much yeah. honey can you can you fit in
1: there uh, so it fits eight frames a super gut 10 frames out of a box full depth box you get around 20 kgs of honey
5: Now, um, behind this mobile extraction unit are a couple of saddleback pigs that um, I can see and I can
1: smell. Yep. Yeah. So we got uh, nine breeding sours and Boris, the big boy, that's looking at you. They're big pigs, aren't they? Yeah.
6: Yep. This is one of our largest paddocks, so we have just all of them roaming together for, for a bit. And uh, then the girls will have a bit of a rest in the smaller paddocks later on.
5: Why have you chosen Saddleback Pigs or St- Stacey's choice? Tell me more, Stacey. <laughs>
6: <laughs> um, I, I was always quite fond of them. They're a heritage breed, an old English breed. They're very hardy. They're amazing grazers. And it was quite important to us with little kids. They're really friendly and have a very mild personality. Mm. They look quite big, mm. but uh, Boar is the boar. Here's actually probably the easiest pig that we have to handle here. And the meat is quite amazing. It's marbled. It doesn't have any lot of fat because they're slow-grown pigs, so they don't have that. uh, They don't have that need to put a fat on real quick, like say Mm. um, you know white pigs. So yeah, they they and they're really nice to look at too.
5: Yeah, how would you describe what they look like?
6: So they're primarily black in color. The long head, and most of them tend to have a wide, broad uh, band around their sort of top shoulder down the torso, which called saddle. That's why they get called saddlebags.
1: And we just breed for piglets because there's a lot of demand on it. How
5: much would it cost to buy one of these piglets?
1: A three-month-old piglet goes away for
5: $160. That's not too bad, considering uh, how big they get.
6: <laughs> no, not at all. They, um, Like I said, the meat, the meat is really amazing, so that that's the quality you buy. And um, the good nature, they're very easy to handle and maintain.
1: Do you have any other animals here? Yeah, we got a few cattle and every year we rear a few calves. So we got a highland bull. Stacy calls him ginger nut. (laughs) And we don't have any veggie garden at the moment, but we got a lot of fruit trees. Fruit and nut trees. That were pre-existing. No, no, we started that last year. So we're converting two hectares into orchard, apple and pear. So the The bad apples can go to the pigs, the manure from the pigs can go to the trees. So all needs to work together.
5: Yes. Are you uh, organic here? What's your farming
1: philosophy? Um, We're not organic. We try to do minimum spray. Uh, Sometimes we have to, especially when we plant new trees. So, yeah, we're not certified organic. We're not organic, but we use seaweed as fertilizer, Mm big manure,
5: yeah, You do what you can to avoid using Pesticides. chemicals. Yep. Yep. We are walking towards a paddock and we're passing some more of your saddlebacks
6: and they are Munching
5: away at something.
6: Yes. Hello. So uh, they get a very rich diet of just about everything, so they get a lot of green waste, and that's your lettuces, carrots. Um, They're really fond of avocados and strawberries. We also supplement them with a rapeseed meal, and uh, we also get some old eggs from a local chicken farmer down the road. So they're not really fond of capsicums and onions. Everything else gets mulched away.
5: Now, Ginger Nut the bull is coming up to us. Yes, you are very handsome. How would you describe him?
6: Oh, Gingernut, yeah, he's, uh, I'd say, caramel colour. He's very shaggy. He's got curly hair on uh, top of his head and uh, longer hair throughout his body. He gets shaggy, much shaggy during winter time. Now he's a bit lighter on his coat, but uh, he likes his slice of bread and he's very really fond of apples.
5: And he was the first farm animal to be born here.
6: Yes, he was. He came slightly earlier than expected by about a month. Um, It was quite a funny story. I got home from work, quite pregnant myself, and my neighbours came around and said, oh, there's something happening in your paddocks, you should have a look. (laughs) So I came around and uh, there he was, lying outside of the paddock, with the mum on the other side in the paddock. So I had to lift him. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was a bit of a chore with my big belly, and uh, toss him in, uh, to the mum. Mm. But no, he's done really well. He's a bit opinionated at times, but he's a good boy.
5: What have been the biggest challenges you faced here in terms of developing the land and the farm?
6: I think reconciling our vision and our ideas with reality and just trying to make it work because we have some really big ideas at times, or these idea man and I'm the one who's <laughs> trying to rein it all in, so it's, it's a constant work and project for us, we'll have five, ten things on the go easy as, and just trying to sit down and say, okay, well, what is a priority here, what is a need, and what is a want, it's two very different things, and just uh, trying to be realistic about our capabilities with the time management again, with the little ones, and just having a bit of time for ourselves as well quite important
5: has there been a lot of trial and error?
1: yes especially in the beginning (laughs) we started with ducks turkeys guinea fowls and it was not our thing so yeah if I would do it again I would ask for advice and I was always the guy that just try it see where it ends but yeah lesson learned
5: now Odie we've come into your orchard. Tell me what you've got growing in here. Uh,
1: we've got Monty Surprise, Sunrise, Ballarat and Galaxies at the moment. So the rootstocks are based on the soil. The apple varieties are based on the harvest time, so that we got like four or five months harvest time. Yeah. So you've got the early, the
6: mids and the lights. Yeah. So the spoil ones will go to the pegs. Then we're hoping there will be people coming around just to pick their own and uh, maybe some of them will end up in our honey processing kitchen and we'll come up with some products for the apples.
1: And we've got some hazelnuts, chestnuts, walnuts.
5: You've got a long-term vision for this place, haven't you?
6: Yeah.
1: For the next five years, we're planting a lot of apple trees and pear trees. For the next five to six years, we're planting a lot of natives, fencing fencing is a big thing for us and then the honey extraction
6: Yeah a lot of things on the go all the time but we do truly enjoy being here and uh, it just takes a long time to see the fruit of our labour
2: Stacey Geelan ending that story You also heard from her husband Udi at their farm in Mutu Kararara
4: Hi my name is Dez I live beside the Iwara
5: River and you're listening to Country Life on RNZ National.
0: Head over the Rangitikei River, not far from the township of Mangaweka, leave behind the magnificent Papa Cliffs, and you enter the Karfato Valley. It's mostly sheep and beef hill country here, But the valley floor is also home to a large asparagus farm, which grew out of tragedy and kindness shown to the owners of Mangawaka asparagus, George and Diana Turney, when they first started out farming in the 1960s. We'll be cooking up some asparagus with them later. But first, let's meet manager Sam Rainey and the men from Vanuatu here to work the harvest. The picking's done in the cool of the morning, and when I popped in, they were in the pack house, weighing and bundling the stems to be trucked off to supermarkets around the country.
8: You won't find better quality than that. And that's purely down to these exceptional guys that we have come and join us every How year. How
0: many workers have you got?
8: So we've got a team of 60 uh, Nivan workers this year from Vanuatu, probably 80% returnees, which is, which is, which is a big one for us. We're in full production by 15th of October, so um, they arrive in three groups. Some actually leave at Christmas, and then some stay through to uh, early February. So we start a little bit later, and, and we harvest a little bit later also. We pick into January to um, supply a, a market after Christmas that still wants asparagus, so we um, manage the crop as best as we can to be able to do that.
10: My name is Clem Toba. You're the man in charge of quality control. Yes. What are you looking for in the asparagus? Um, What I'm looking for here, I have to make sure all the weight um, from 255 grams to 265 grams. And I have to make sure that all the rubber bands are in the line and even the tape, the tape position also in the line. We try to sell the best so that we can earn more money here, so that all these boys, they're going to earn much more money when they get back home.
0: So it's all about it looking beautiful?
8: Yes, exactly.
10: How long have you been here? I've been here 11 years. 11 years?
8: Yeah. Glenn's a, yeah, he's a master and he's exceptional in everything he does. So he's he's up front here, he's a QC, check weighing bunches. We are ensuring that uh, spare diameter is um, within spec, so you want... Similar sized beers within the bunch, so they cook relatively evenly. Presentation's a big one. Um, we come to the market, we arrive to the market a little bit later when, when the earlier growers are in full swing and our quality has to be spot on. So we, we really try and focus on producing a, a premium bunch. Because um,
0: you're missing that first... Kind of delight at the first asparagus of the season
8: exactly and there's a yeah you know, those earlier growers they get a premium for that and, and the market goes crazy over that early season stuff we arrive to the market when actually there's a heap on around and then you find now that asparagus is, is really good value it's, it's it's great buying
0: so here in the in the valley the kafato valley fits a long way from anywhere what do the what do the guys think when they come here
10: They want to earn money, and when they live back here, they save a lot of money when they're away from the town. Some of these boys, they build um, permanent houses, and some of them, they buy lands in Vanuatu, and some of them, they're getting married. They come here, work, they go on. And most of the boys, they pay school fees.
0: I've heard that many of the workers are able to build concrete homes to make their their villages more resilient to cyclones. Is that correct?
10: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so some of, some of these boys, when they go back home of the seventh month, uh, they bring back home about um, 12,000 New Zealand dollars or 15,000 New Zealand dollars. And when they change to Vatu it's about 900 Fatu and yeah, 1 million Fatu.
0: And how much does it cost to build a house?
10: Uh, it's about um, 500,000 vatu or maybe less, yeah.
0: So they could build almost two houses? Yes. And do some of them set up businesses?
10: Yes, um, most of these boys, they do business, like retail shops, like buying copper. And what about you? What do you do with your money? Uh, I build my permanent house, and I do a retail shop in there, yeah.
0: And you go back... For how many months a year?
10: Um, this year I do seven months. And yeah, this it's a
0: long time. time away from
10: home. Yes.
0: Did you do miss your family? You must yes, do. Yes,
10: I really miss them, but
0: yeah. How do you keep in contact?
10: Oh by phones. Yeah, we use um, what they call emu. It's an app that uses emo and we can chat and are all, are all the guys here on the phone at night? Yes. Talking yes. to their families? Yes. Not more than 11 pm. Yeah, because next day we had more. walk.
7: Hey, my name is Abby Seymour. I've been about 15 years now. Looking in Mankawekas Baracas. I just love this place. It's nice and People are here friendly.
0: On your days off, what do you do?
7: Uh, we just slip in and go down the river and catch a fish we can. Uh, especially just go hang around in the river, have a swim when it's hot and
0: yeah. It's a bit chilly
7: for what you're used yeah. to though, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> What
0: did you think was strange when he first came uh,
7: and, and what did the guys... Uh, we we like? never eat cheese in Vanuatu. Nah, no cheese in Vanuatu though. That's another. Do you like it? Uh, well, I've eaten years and years now. I like it. It's good. And fish, you must and be missing your fish. Fish, We never eat the fish we ate in Vanuatu here. Yeah. Nah. You miss it? We miss fish. And the thing... We don't eat much meat in Vanuatu, but in New Zealand, we do eat meat, chicken. And most of the way they just get sick of chicken and meat, too. So. They just love fish. They're <laughs> yeah.
0: desperate for yeah. meat. But you have your music, and yeah. the music is a big thing.
7: Yeah, it's a big thing that brings back what they have done in Vanuatu, like go around with your friends, enjoying time with music. So, music is one of the things that helps them to make them feel at home.
0: Angaweka asparagus produces about 220 to 250 tonnes of asparagus every season, off 70 hectares. Sam Rainey is in his ninth season managing the farm.
8: This is really fertile, free-draining soil, and that's what asparagus needs. It's, it's a, a stony silt loam yeah, on, on, a, on a river terrace. Um, the, the key really is you don't want a, a heavy soil that's going to, where the plant's going to sit uh, wet and 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 that's when it comes to soil-borne diseases. We get rain through summer, which is a big one. So So you've got good climate, good soil. Yeah, exactly. And we're a bit later, our spring's a bit later, so you've got to be either producing early or producing late to make any money in this industry. Obviously, there's there's still a big period in the middle where you get 80% of your production... Um, and you have to continue to harvest that block to be able to pick it into January. It's either harvest it or you, or you knock it off, keep knocking it off. So it's a combination of that to, to get into January. Um, this block is five years old, so lasts anywhere from twelve to fifteen years. First, we'll plant seedlings and then leave it for three years while it establishes once it's in production from year four on, you're picking it anywhere from 60 days right through to over double that.
0: And it just keeps on popping up.
8: So there's a plant every uh, 200 mils, 175 mils, I think, in this block, and every plant may produce 10, 15 spears over a over a period. So that crown which sits under the soil produces new buds, and and that's what those spears are, those, those new shoots, and that's what we're harvesting. On a hot day, they can grow... Cracky, there's all sorts of numbers thrown around, but you, you can see it growing behind you nearly. It's, so.
0: so the guys will go down every row, every
8: uh, row. constantly? That's right. So Keep um, on
0: coming back over the same row?
8: Yeah, we cover the same ground every day. So
0: And it's all hand-harvested? It's all
8: hand-harvested. So basically you've you got a hip bucket um, and, and a picking knife, and you're picking to length, so you're just picking the long spears. Um so, for example, this one here, that's going to be good tomorrow. Um, and that one, actually. Um, this one is probably two days away. It'll be there tomorrow, there the, the other next day.
0: How has this season been so far?
8: Um, well, price-wise, it's been terrible. It's been about as bad as I've seen it in my nine seasons, I think. Um, and that's essentially just a an oversupply and well a combination of an oversupply and lack of demand consumers just haven't been there we're hearing from the retailers that sales are back on where they were this time last year and, and that's the same retail point so R- right now the it's come right back you know we I think it was there's stores that were selling two bunches for four bucks so that's value in anyone's eyes I, I, I are, hope. You,
0: are you making any money uh, no we're not at,
8: look we're not at that and the market always bottoms out um when when all the all the growers in new zealand are in are in production are in full production but this year we've it's just overlapped a whole lot more are a bit late starting they flushed a bit later and we we were probably a little bit earlier so there was more of a peak there than than we would have liked yeah, I mean, we're going backwards right now. Is it
0: worth picking all the asparagus then for week? No, well,
8: you, you don't. You, you, you really limit what you what you harvest. So essentially you, you pick for the sales that you have, and you also have to look at the longer-range forecast and factor in perhaps if there's cool attempts coming and you can hold a little bit of stock over and that sort of thing. So so it's a, it's a constant...
0: Balancing act. It, it is, really. And you talk about the consumer demand being lower. Why is that?
8: Well, we're told it's a... Cost of living, um, and there's better value in other vegetables. Um, that, that, that's what we have been told as growers. But look, it's I, I, as I say, it's right now asparagus is really good value. Um, it's fresh. I mean, every day we're harvesting and we're sending out every day. So um, it, it's what's really important. Important is that it's turning over. So where, where we get a little bit frustrated is perhaps the market gets a bit blocked up. The supply chain gets a bit blocked up. And that value doesn't get passed on to the consumer as quickly as it should. So every day that it's not selling, it's sort of backing up.
0: How are you going to encourage more consumers to eat more asparagus? Um,
8: as, a, as the, industry, the asparagus uh, industry body is got a, a big promotion this year, actually. It, a, is, is we're sort of throwing the kitchen sink at it. All you have to do is buy two bunches of asparagus over the next five weeks we're giving away five grand travel voucher. So as, as an industry that's that's huge for us. We're also um, brought produce departments on board and we're giving away prizes to the, a produce department that's got the best display turning over the stock and most creative so we're trying to target it at that side and, and also consumers. So it's been a real challenge to get it out there.
0: How did you get into asparagus growing?
8: I grew up a K up the road actually so we were, um, yeah, I suppose, family friends, George and Diana Tierney. Um I picked it, school holidays, and George rung me probably 10 years ago now and said, do you want a job? So, and, it, and it so happened that we could, we could make it work, so I dragged my girlfriend at the time down here, and now my wife, and we have three kids, and it's, it's, it's been great. We've, we live in a great community. And...
0: Are you eating asparagus every night, at this time of year?
8: Um, well, the answer is yes, of course.
0: What about your kids? Are they eating it?
8: They do. They don't have a choice, unfortunately. But, but they, no, they actually do like it. So they go, so. oh no, not asparagus <laughs> again. <laughs> no, they, they, they do like it. It's, it's about getting it, cooking it. Like, not, not overcooking it, sorry, getting it right. And, and it's really, it's pretty easy to do that.
0: How long do you cook
4: your asparagus for, George? Not at anything, we just drop it into boiling water, and when it comes back to the boil, we take it out. So it's all it is, is blanched.
0: George and Diana Turney are the owners of Mangaweka asparagus. Their house overlooks the asparagus paddocks, and they eat it twice a day during the season.
4: We first of all break off. Snap off
0: the ends.
4: Yep. And... and they make that sound, it means they're fresh.
11: Yeah, it is. Beautiful and fresh, and then when the water comes to the boil...
4: And Because we're frugal in English, uh, those would always be made into soup. The ends? <laughs> the ends, yes. <laughs> yes.
0: George grew up on a chicken farm in England, and as a young man about 60 years ago, he joined a mate who had a plan to drive to New Zealand. They got as far as Singapore. To cut a long story short, George ended up making New Zealand his home, with Diana working on a sheep and beef farm just over the hill. But tragedy struck when, with four young children, their house burnt down in the middle of the night. Local friends and family came to their aid with goods and money, enough for them to buy a farm in Northland, which set them on their way. They eventually came back to Rangatike and planted their first asparagus here 25 years ago. Why asparagus?
4: Because one of the biggest issues you have with growing vegetables is labour. And I've enjoyed employing labour. I've enjoyed helping people. A very interesting looking back over those years of the people that we've helped in this district um, get on their feet by learning to work and have a work attitude. And... Uh, even then, of course, we moved from the local people as well as having backpackers, that, which we have built up relationships all over the world with these, and we've been to weddings and all sorts of things all over the world. So we became. So really, it was the employment of people that gave me the satisfaction. And now I look at it is that I know that there's 60 staff that you've seen in the pack house today that are making a living off a block of land that used to not even feed a couple as a sheep and beef farm. They both went off the farm, the previous owners, to earn money. And now we have a full-time manager and 60 other staff earning a living, a good living, um, off it. I was given the opportunity when I came to New Zealand to work and to make good money, Uh, and I'm pleased to say I've done the same For the people, and don't forget, when you lose a house and all your your material things in life and the community come to your aid, I'm very pleased to give back.
0: Diana, what has the connection with Vanuatu meant for you?
11: Vanuatu and the Nivans, as we call them, are such loving, friendly, smiling people that they're a pleasure to um, to have working for you that not only that they are hard workers and appreciate the opportunity the the accommodation we have and the th- and even when we 've done the coconut press that we were, we went to um, Vanuatu to investigate so they could have uh, an industry of them you know while they 're not with us. Uh, yeah, that's, it's, it's all enriching for us. It's, it's a win-win for, both, uh, for, for them and for us, yeah. Um, and, we, and we don't feel we have that you know, employer-employee relationship. We feel uh, that they're really our friends and part of our family, really.
0: The attorneys say it's great to have the team back after the tough COVID years, although this year is tough too with oversupply.
4: It breaks your heart to see a tractor driving out there, mowing it off. Um, I think we've mowed off pretty well the whole farm at some stage. We tried not to flood the market, but we still have 60 staff to be out there to pick. We still have 60 staff that have to be paid. What about the export market? We tried that last year. Um, Very difficult with the transport side of it. Transport has become much more expensive and less reliable since COVID. We got it to Singapore and it had already gone gone off. And until we get can find a very reliable way of doing it, and we're working on that all the time, that is the issue. So what is the future then for the crop? I think it's the future. I think there will always be a future because there is a a, a percentage of the New Zealand population that love to eat asparagus love to have it fresh and they're very discerning and i believe as long as we don't flood the market and the supermarkets do their job in keeping it fresh on the shelf and don't flood too much onto the shelves and just keep moving it on and and just put enough out for the market every hour or something like that and that's how it's got to be done but it's but that has a cost to the supermarket Labour's a big issue, and it's finding people that have a passion towards it.
11: There we go. Onto a platter, and done.
4: Yep. Mm-hmm.
11: And then garlic and butter
4: is a really good... There's always lots of garlic. Yes. Organic garlic, yep. grown locally. We get a, a wad of butter, and we pull it through the butter, the hot asparagus, and that just coats it nicely with the butter. The hollandaise sauce I like as well but really it overpowers the lovely tender sweet taste of asparagus.
0: I agree. Yeah.
4: Mm-hmm. And uh oh that we wrap it in bacon. Mm-hmm. And and then we have a few wines beforehand so our taste buds are stuffed up even more. <laughs>
11: no no. And I have I have an amazing recipe which is Uh, sliced um, sliced asparagus sun-dried tomato oil in the pan first, pop in your sliced, um, at an angle, your asparagus, then your uh, sun-dried tomatoes just chopped up and then just as it's all finishing I put in sliced mushrooms and then we have a lovely Christmas uh, dish red, green and white and it is delicious.
0: And indeed it was. George and Diana Turney in their kitchen in the Carfato Valley. George says they've also investigated canning to deal with oversupply, but that hasn't proved feasible. They're living by the mantra, fresh is best. And you can find the Turneys at the Fielding Farmers Market promoting this season's crop and a new dried product, which they swear by for asparagus flavour all year round.
2: Well, on that lovely flavoured note, we'll end the show. It's all we've got time for. Now, don't forget, you can go to our webpage for more info on the stories you've heard today and photos of the people behind the voices. The address is rnz.co.nz countrylife. Have a lovely weekend.
0: Hei tēra wiki, hei Konara. Until next week, goodbye. Bye now.